Thank you, Lord. Anybody get a deer? Tim, did you get a deer? No deer yet. Wow. Oh, you're, oh you, have, you want a specific deer. Okay. Yep. Tim, Tim's going after Bambi. <laughs> Sorry, Bambi. Bambi in the church. <laughs> what, was it like got a big rack? Is it like a big one? How many, how many, how many points is it? At least 10. Okay, yeah. It knows what's up. It knows like, man, Tim is after me this year. <laughs> That's cool. You know you're an accomplished hunter when you don't just want any deer. You want a specific deer. Praise God. Amen. That's awesome. Well, let's uh, open our Bibles to Romans chapter 1, you guys. Thank you, Lord. We're going to do a little bit of a review this morning. We're going to stay in that same vein that we've been in. Um, I think I, in worship, I felt like I was supposed to start with this scripture. I did not give you guys that scripture this morning, but it'll be easy for you to get to it. But, um, you know, what I shared last week is, uh, you know, as a minister, one of our, our challenges is, um, you know, we're looking to convey things to, to people and open people's hearts and help people to receive. But how many know not all words mean the same thing to everybody? And so that's one of the challenges. And so, you know, this, this subject of righteousness, um, which is the revelation of the gospel, that can mean a lot of different things to different people. And um, I mean, you, you could have heard something taught a certain way for so long that when you hear that word, you immediately think of something, and that's not actually what I'm talking about. And so, um, and what we've been looking at is just the restoration of our value, our self-worth, and our dignity. And, you know, that's one of the things that, that God wants to do through the gospel, because everybody in here, uh, your sense of self-worth has been attacked. Everybody in here, your sense of self-worth has been attacked, and um, that is one of the things that God wants to restore to us, is that we have value. And um, because your, your self-image, the way you see yourself is the way that you, is the lens that you view the entire world through. And if, you, and if you think very little of yourself, and you have a bad sense of self-image, then everything that you see um, is going to be marred by that. It's not, you're not going to be able to see effectively. And, and how many know that, that God's opinion of you is more important than anybody else's opinion of you? And a big part of what the gospel is, is we find out what God, how God feels about us, the way God believes, what God believes about us, and the way God values us. And then we hear that until it restores in us a sense of self-worth, self-value, and dignity. Because God wants to restore your dignity. God wants to restore your sense of self-worth. God wants to change your self-image to where you can see yourself the way that he sees you. And I'm here to tell you right now, everybody in here, God loves you. God is not mad at you. And God wants to be a father to you. And he wants to not just be a father that tolerates you. God wants to be a father that's excited about you and happy to see you. And even, I'll go a step further, God delights in you. If you could just see the face of the father this morning, you'd see doesn't, isn't it nice to be around someone who's excited to see us? That's why we all have dogs, right? Because, <laughs> man, I mean, your dog just thinks you're the greatest person on earth, you know? And every single time you see your dog, they're, like, so excited to see you. They love you so much. And what, you, what we have to understand is many of us, we've had this, this, this picture painted in our minds of an angry God of a God that was against us, a God was ready to punish us. And even if we worked past those things, we never in our hearts saw a God that actually delighted in us. But the reality is, is God does delight in you. And He loves you. And uh, He took care of your sin. You know, all your sins paid in full. And, and you've been given, if you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you've been given a nature that's sinless. You've been given a sinless nature in your spirit. When you get born again, how many of your outside doesn't change? You still look the same. I was Caucasian before and after I got born again. 
uh, still think the same, and that's one of the biggest challenges. I've been renewing my mind for over 20 years. After I got saved, I still thought like a drug addict. I still thought like a, a, a you know, an alcoholic. I still thought like a lying, cheating, awful human being. And it took me time to change the way I thought through the scriptures so that the miracle that had been placed on the inside of me could be in my life. And slowly, I've been learning who I am in Jesus, and that's actually what's brought freedom into my life. The reason I'm not addicted to drugs is because I'm not a drug addict. But see, I stopped being a drug addict as soon as I got born again. But I was still doing drugs after I got born again. Can we all be honest here for just a little bit? I still struggle with drugs, and I still struggle with pornography after I was saved. And it would take me time to find out that's not who I was. And I can remember when that drug stronghold got broken off of my life. There were some drugs that was on the ground, and I was, I was running up this road. And I looked down, and my old self would have been like, oh, happy day. <laughs> Free drugs on the ground. What's up? You know. But I picked it up, and my old self would have done anything for this and had done anything for this. But my new self, the person I had become acquainted with, who I was, I realized I'm not a drug addict. I don't want this anymore. And so I dropped it in the ground. I put my foot in it. I ground it in the dirt. And I kept running up that hill because I, 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 my identity had changed. And my mind finally caught up to what had happened in my spirit. And so when you get born again, you become a child of God. You're born from above. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and you've been given a new nature, and your nature is one with the nature of the Son of God. It's important to understand this. You're, Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. I mean, see, there's, there's a new race of people in the earth, and it's the people that don't die. It's the people that live forever. Yeah, I know your physical body's going to die, but you, if you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you have eternal life, and your spirit is, is perfectly righteous, perfectly sinless, and perfectly one with your Creator. And then the whole point of coming to church, the whole point of reading the Scriptures and praying, is awakening to these truths so that what's on the inside of you can get on the outside of you and your life can be better. How many of your life's better when your choices are better? See, God loves you whether you do, do dumb stuff or you do good stuff. But when you do dumb stuff, it makes your life hard. But it doesn't actually change God's opinion of you, and it also doesn't change your nature. It just makes your life hard. And you might end up in heaven quicker than you should. Everybody tracking me here? And so what the gospel does is the gospel, when, when, when Jesus comes to you, you know, I was a drug addict, alcoholic, atheist when I was about 19, 20 years old, and I called upon the name of the Lord, and I became born again. <clears throat> I became a new person. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And now I was given a new identity, and I had unbroken, unchanging fellowship with God as a father. But I had done so many bad things, and I had been beat down so much by my childhood and my past that my self-image was messed up. I did not like me. I mean, I didn't like me at all. I, in fact, I would say I probably hated myself, even as a Christian. And um, because... My, my self-image was messed up. And so, how many know that you're, that you're called to treat people the way you want to be treated? But how many know if you don't like you, how can you like anybody else? How many know if you don't love you, how can you love somebody else? You ever see people say, well, that person just doesn't have any respect. Well, how many know when you don't respect yourself, you don't respect anybody else? And so when God gets you, a lot of times when he, when he gets a hold of you and you become born again, your mind and your self-image is very twisted and very messed up. And so the way you see the world around you is very twisted and very messed up. But God is in the process of showing you your value and showing you who you are and untwisting all of that so that you can have a good life. Now, your life's better when you like yourself. Because wherever you, wherever you are, there you are. <laughs> and if you don't like yourself, then you're always going to be getting on your own nerves. <laughs> if you don't value yourself, 
then you're always going to feel like you're less than, you're always going to feel like other people are better than you, and you're always going to be comparing yourself to somebody else. And what God wants to do through the gospel is He wants to show you your value and your worth so that you can see yourself differently. And here's the thing. When you can see yourself through the eyes of God, not only is it going to cause you to treat you different, it's also going to cause you to treat other people different. It's the truth, man. When you are actively loving yourself with the love that God has given you, you will love other people. And then when you find out that this love is an unconditional love, it will actually empower you to love people that are against you, love people that are your enemies. I mean, God's called you to treat people good that don't treat you good. And, and we cannot do that as long as we are, we, we're in this place where our own self-image is messed up. So today I want to tell you, God is delighted in you. And He's happy to see you. And He's happier to see you than even your dog is happy to see you. <laughs> he delights in you. And eventually in this series we're going to get to the place where we talk about the delight of God. And I'll just give you a little snapshot. When you understand God delights in you, that's when you can take the land with the giants in it. That was the difference in the, in, the, in the 12 spies. Two spies, Joshua and Caleb, believed the Lord delighted in them, and they were able to slay the giants. The other 10 did not. The reason that David was a giant killer is he believed that the Lord delighted in him. And boy, if you can just get a hold of that in your heart that God delights in you, it'll change every single aspect of your life. You'll live with purpose. You'll live with confidence. You'll know that God is with you and for you. God doesn't just love you and tolerate you. No, He actually delights in you. Amen? It's really important to understand. And so the gospel is a revelation of that. And so when I say the word righteousness, um, I'm not talking about right living. I'm talking about a new nature. You've been given a new nature that is right with God. And so the gospel is a revelation of God's righteousness that's been given to you as a gift. And so when we preach the gospel, what I'm doing is, I'm not talking about Jeremiah Johnson, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about Jesus. And we're going to look at Jesus, and we're going to reveal Jesus and all of His loveliness, and His beauty, and His splendor, and His awesomeness, and then I'm going to tell you the secret that you're in Jesus. Your new identity is found in Jesus. So when I'm talking, how many know you are now in the body of Christ? Now you're never the head, you're never the boss. You're the body. Is there anything wicked in Jesus? Is there anything twisted in Jesus? Where are you? So when I preach the gospel, and it's a revelation of God's righteousness that is, is in Jesus, it will cause you and I to transform and to change. Our lives will be different. How I many you know, if you just really valued yourself, there's certain decisions you wouldn't have made. There's certain things you wouldn't have done. There's certain relationships you probably wouldn't have been in. There's certain boundaries that you would have drawn in your life. And see, here's the thing, if you, don't know your, if you don't really know your own value and your own worth, when opportunities come into your life that you think are better than you, you won't take them. Because you think they're better than you. And so you either won't take them, sleep on them, or you'll sabotage yourself. You've never done that before. You had opportunity, and there it was, and you messed it up. You didn't do it consciously, you did it subconsciously. And the reason you did it subconsciously is you felt like this was too good for you in your heart. And so God has all of these good things that He wants to bring into our lives, but if we don't know that we're worthy to sit at the table and feed on what the Lord has given to us, God can give you opportunity after opportunity, but you don't actually rise, kill, and eat. You don't take what is yours. And so in these next you know, these, these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the gospel from that standpoint because I really believe that there's a lot of things that God wants to bring into our life, but we're not going to enjoy those things until we recognize that the reason we have those things, it's a part of our inheritance. How many of you know inheritance is based upon identity? You don't earn things from God, folks. You receive things from God. You receive an inheritance. How many of you know inheritance is not something that's earned? Inheritance is something that's received, right? 
Amen. And so I was wrong about that scripture. So uh, turn to Isaiah 61, please. Well, I just did everything I needed to do right there. And so we didn't have to actually crack it open. So, um, and then once again, we're, we're in a little bit of a state of review here. But God actively, see, you should walk out of church feeling better about yourself than when you walked in. And if you walk out of a service feeling beat down, feeling like you're not as good as the pastor, you're not as good as other people in the church, I want to tell you something. You didn't hear the gospel. You, you heard a mixture of all kinds of things, but you didn't hear the gospel. Uh, because when someone comes to church, there's only one person that should be glorified, and his name is Jesus. Not the pastor, not anybody. That's, I mean, you know, there's nobody in this room that's any better than anybody else. And when we lift up Jesus, we're all edified and strengthened. And so when you leave a church service, you should walk out with more peace, more confidence, and a greater sense of who you are and your, own, and your value, right? Isaiah 61 uh, makes a powerful statement concerning um, the brokenhearted. And uh, Grant's been ministering on the heart, and I hope he continues to, because it really comes in line with this message. Because this isn't something you just get in your head, this is something that, that your heart has to be healed with. Isaiah 61 and verse 1, it says, and th this is the passage of Scripture that Jesus quoted when He preached His first sermon. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now, check it out. When your self-worth has been attacked, and when you feel ashamed about who you are, your heart is broke. Because your self-image has been hurt. That's what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. They were, they were, their heart was broke concerning who they were. And so when their dad came down to spend time with them, they ran from him because they did not feel worthy of him. And humanity's been dealing with it for the past several thousand years. Now Jesus fixed it in the realm of the Spirit. But, we, but, but it, for it to be fixed in your own heart, we have to believe the truth. And it says, so he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound. When you have a bad sense of self-worth, you are a prisoner to your own self-image. You can be free outwardly. Let me just tell you something. Nobody in this room is any better than anybody else. You have never been around somebody that's better than you. Ever. You know, and we live in a world where we exalt certain groups of people. We, we live in a very idolatrous world. We don't worship uh, idols of gold and silver and wood, little, you know, little figures anymore. We worship people. Our society as a whole worships people. Most people spend a good, not most people, a portion of most people spend a portion of their life watching, amen, watching TV to worship someone else's life. And that's how everybody makes money. Advertisement, all this, is you're looking at somebody you wish you were, you wish you were living their life, whether it's a, a, someone in the form of music, or an athlete, or an actor, or whatever, all different types of genres, and thinking that that, you remember hear the term starstruck? Get around a famous person? I hate that stuff. You will never, ever catch me being starstruck about another human being. Ever. I'm a son of God. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's no human being that's better than I am. See, I mean, you know, this world system's going to pass away. And all these people that were famous probably ain't going to be famous in heaven. And I hope they make it. I hope they receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm not against them or anything like that. But they're a part of a system devised by the spirit of this world to bring people into subjection, make people feel bad about themselves, and clamor for other people's approval. A false sense of self-worth is popularity. It is. A false sense of self-worth is popularity. That's what the devil has. How I many you know if you, if you embrace the devil's agenda and you jump on his little bandwagon, everybody will think you're cool. And people will like you. But if you name the name of Jesus, you will be rejected in a public arena. That's just a part of this world. This world will pass away. 
This little, this, little, this little photo moment of the way things are currently set up, this thing's going to die. Every government will end. Okay? Every, every sense of idolatry will end. And there'll be one kingdom, there'll be one king, there'll be no more death, there'll be no more sickness, there'll be no more poverty, there'll be no more lack, and we will live eternally with a king and not a president. Can I get an Amen. <laughs> With a king. And that's the way we were actually designed. We need someone to rule us that was willing to serve us with his life. And lay his life down for us. Amen. It's good news, right? But so while you're in this life, you have the ability to unplug from that system that devalues you and makes you feel less than other people. See, when you get a hold of this, on the inside, you'll never be intimidated by somebody else again. No one will have the ability to make you feel less than. No human being should have the ability to rob you of peace. Because when you know your self-worth, you have peace. You, you carry yourself in a place of rest. See, when you don't know your self-worth, you're always trying to prove to people your worth. And if you're trying to prove to people your worth, you're not confident in who you are. True self-worth displays itself in a place of rest, not activity. How many of you know there's the boldness of a, of a lion and there's the boldness of a chihuahua? How many of you know a, a chihuahua's boldness is different than the boldness of a lion? How many of you know a chihuahua has something to prove? How many of you know when you see a lion, he's usually asleep? He's usually just laying around. Why? Because he does not feel the need to prove he's king. He knows he's king. He wakes up knowing he's king. He goes to sleep knowing he's king. The lion is not afraid. And so he's in a state of rest. And the scripture declares that the righteous are bold as lions. When you know that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, you have a sense of your own self-worth, and you don't have to try to pretend like you're something for anybody. And you know what happens to you? You get to just be yourself because you are enough. And you don't have to pretend for anybody. You don't have to perform for anybody. And if people don't like you, you don't feel less about yourself because they don't like you because you don't need people to like you in order to feel okay about yourself because you're getting your value from God's opinion of you. And God's opinion of you is more important than anybody else's opinion of you. See, the church should be a place where we get set free in our sense of self-worth and value. But many times the church has been a place where people have actually felt worse about themselves. They come to church and they feel more self-conscious. They compare themselves and they think, well, the pastor's awesome and I'm not so awesome and you know, and then, and then they, they look at sister so-and-so, and they look at this person and that person, and all these people do is talk about the things that they do rather than talking about Jesus Christ. And what ends up happening is the church gets filled with insecure, codependent people who are looking for a sense of self-worth from a person's approval. They need the pastor to like them so that they can have a sense of self-worth and approval. And what it does is it sets the pastor up in a position of a manipulator rather than a shepherd. The shepherd doesn't look at the sheep to determine which sheep's better than the other sheep. No, the shepherd's just there to feed and protect. That's it. And so God is raising up shepherds after His own heart that's going to preach the message of the gospel, Jehovah Tishkenu, the Lord our righteousness, Jeremiah 23.3, and the house of God is going to be a place where you come to and you're comforted and you're strengthened because you're hearing good news that you can't hear anywhere else. This, this good news is an eternal good news. And so God wants you to get confident and comfortable in who you are so that you just be yourself. Because who you are is awesome. Who you are is amazing because who you are is linked to Jesus. And all that old stuff that you used to be involved in or that old stuff that maybe you're still involved in, those things will drop off of your life as you embrace who you are in Jesus and get a hold of your self-worth. And if you make a mistake and resort back to some of your old behavior, you don't allow your mistake to define you because a mistake does not have the power to change who you are. Okay? Just because a butterfly lands in trash don't mean it turns into trash. Right? And you're in a world that's filled with trash. So every once in a while, you might step into some trash. But when you step in that trash, it don't, it don't get inside you. Okay? 
And because and, the enemy, he hates your value. If there's one thing the devil hates, it's how much God loves us. I think that's how this whole thing got started. He's like, what is man that you are mindful of him? Like, why do you like this little frail earthen creature? God's like, I like him so much, you're going to serve him. You go, sir. You are. I mean, that's what angels are. They're they're servants of the of, of the heirs of salvation, and 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 they're happy to do so if they're in line with their if, with their true nature. But for some reason, God God Almighty chose to unite Himself to humanity forever. Jesus is in a physical body seated on the right hand of the throne, in a physical body that still has the holes in His hands, still has the piercing inside. God has chosen to have an eternity with us, a part of us. Like, that's amazing, isn't it? I mean, angels are stronger than us. They're more powerful than us. But some, for some reason, God chose to find value in these little earthen clay people and said, I love them. And so the enemy hates us, and he's always trying to devalue us. I mean, one of the primary attacks of the enemy is to devalue human life. That's what, that's what evolution is all about. Evolu- the, the, this, this theory of evolution, which is completely unscientific, there's not one shred of scientific evidence that, that evolution is real. Not one single shred. It's astonishing how, how, how hook, line, and sinker the enemies may, managed to sell that to the world. But, if but, but, but what it is is it's an attack against the worth of mankind. Because what it says is, is we're just animals. And if we're just animals, we already kill animals and eat animals, so let's just kill whoever we want to kill because we're all just a bunch of animals. And then you got people living with no sense of integrity, no sense of morality, no sense of value because they're just animals. And so there's no concept of worth. But boy, when you start to restore worth to man, man starts to realize, you know, I'm worth more than a one-night stand. I'm worth more... uh, than, 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 than giving myself away and using myself. I'm worth more than that. And when you elevate mankind's sense of self-worth, what happens is the enemy starts to lose control over them and man-made religion stops to have control over you as well. Because I'm here to tell you right now, you don't need a pastor to validate your value in God. No, no, no. No, no, not anymore. Moses is dead. The reason we're having church is you brought God in here with you if, when you came, if you're born again. I mean, you, know, you are the temple of the living God. God lives on the inside of you. Can I get an amen? And we've got to, we cannot walk free until we know that we are sons and daughters of God, and that comes from Almighty God. Now, I'm thankful I'm a pastor. You know, I mean, I've been pastor for 20 years and, you know, and, and I've been in ministry for over 20 years. And, and we need pastors. We need leaders. We need people to help. We need people to equip people for the, for the ministry. We need those things. But nowhere is any other human being better than you or has more of a right to God than you have. And any concept of that is man-made religion. How many know we're a family? Not a hierarchy. We're a family. Not a pyramid scheme. We're a family. We're invited to the table. Can I get an amen? And when you know your worth and I know my worth and we can hear God together, just like Trey, was, he knew he was going to come up here this morning. He knew it. I knew it. God told me. And he's got a relationship with God. i got a relationship with God. And the Spirit of God gets to lead us and guide us. And, and the Spirit of God gets to be the orchestrator of all good things. If we can get everybody in this room having in their own personal relationship with God and then doing what God tells you to do, then we become the body of Christ and we start to get things done. But as long as we're trying to have a relationship with God through another person, that's codependent Christianity and that's not a real relationship. Like my kids, I don't want my kids having a relationship with me through somebody else. That'd be so weird. Right? Well, God doesn't want you having a personal relationship with Him through somebody else. He wants you to have your own relationship. It's the truth. Golly, don't sell yourself short. You hear God for you better than anybody else does. Now, man, thank God for leaders and thank God for people who will feed the Word and people will open things up. But the whole purpose of a leader is so you can have your own personal relationship with God. Can I get an amen? Because God doesn't want anyone controlling you. 
The Spirit-led life is not a life of, of, of uh, control, it's a life of freedom. We want to set people free. We don't want control people. Lucifer is the one who always wants to control people. Lucifer's goal is always control. Even the things that we're seeing in the governments of the earth right now. How many of they just want to be in control? They want to control everything. And the reason they want to control everything is they're, they're, they're being um, influenced by the spirit of this world. Because the enemy always wants to bring people low so he can control them. Listen, when you know your self-worth and your value, you stop being easy to manipulate. Come on now. And I'm not saying that we run around and we're jerks and stuff like that, and we're like, well, you can't control me, blah, blah, blah. No, the other side of the coin is this. How I many know we honor each other? We honor each other. We serve each other. See, you're set free to serve. You're not set free to lord over somebody else. Everybody tracking me here? And, and if we all honor each other and we all serve each other, the body of Christ becomes this beautiful thing. Right? Amen. And so if you drop down to verse 7, talking about the wounded heart being captive when a heart is wounded, it says, instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. So in the place where you felt broken and you felt hurt and you felt not as good as, God wants to restore to you double honor. That's what He wants to do for you. Listen, you are worthy of honor. You are worthy to be honored. What happens in a marriage when the, when the husband honors the wife and the wife honors the husband? What happens in a family when, when, when the parents honor the children and the children honor the parents? See, you can't force honor. I mean, honor something that's caught. I can't make you honor me. You can't make me honor you. It's not this, it's not a position thing, it's a culture. And man, when you develop a culture in your home where you're all honoring each other and seeking each other's best, how I many you know everybody likes to be there? But when we when we when we when we have dis and the reason that we dishonor is we ourselves feel dishonored and we feel ashamed, and that's the reason that we present dishonor to other people. See, and so God wants to heal. God's telling me, He's like down here, hurry up, you're taking too long. I can feel him. <laughs> he is, he is, because I need to go other places. So I'm trying to shut up. Um, we're not as in control as people think we are. I mean, we can be in control, but it's not that good. <laughs> but instead of shame, you shall have double honor. So God wants to restore that place. Now turn to Hebrews chapter 12, please. And uh, we, we looked at this last week. And so there is an emotion that's attached to having no sense of worth or value. And, uh, and, and we, we don't talk about feelings enough in church. And we as a church are changing this. Because uh, you're, you're, the healing of your heart is not just the healing of your thoughts and the healing of um, the way you see things, but the healing of your heart is the way you feel. God wants to restore to you a feeling of value and self-worth. When you feel a sense of value and self-worth, listen to me, sin is not attractive to you. Sin only becomes attractive when you, when, when you have this feeling of condemnation, when you have this feeling of guilt, when you feel like God is mad at you. When you feel like God is against you, that's when sin can come knocking at the door. And God wants to heal you to the place that He actually changes the way you feel. Now, your feelings are not reality. I mean, your feelings are up and down. So you never, never determine what's true by the way you feel. But what's true will change the way you feel. Amen. Really important here. But there's a feeling that's attached to unworthiness, and it's called shame. And the enemy loves shame. He loves to make people feel ashamed. He loves to, because when people are experiencing shame, they want to hide. They want to hide from God. They want to hide from each other, and they want to even hide from themselves. How do you hide from yourself? How I many you know we have so much entertainment in the world right now, you can entertain yourself into an oblivion. And we can eat and entertain at the same time. And, we're, we're at, and, and I'm not against entertainment. I like entertainment. I, I love to eat, praise God. I mean, I do. Uh, but all those things have their place, but, but when, in, in a sense of shame... 
We want, it, we want to escape because we don't feel worthy. And here's the thing. The quality of your life will be based upon your relationships. God doesn't want you running from Him when you make a mistake or you feel unworthy. I mean, oh, God wants you running to Him. Never run from God when you screw up. Always run to Him because He's the one who will fix you. Right? Get that, get that so de- deep down inside of you that every time you, you mess up, you never... You, God's never not on your team. He's never against you. He's never not on your side. He's always on your team. He's, he, he's the one you need, man. And so um, shame will cause us to run from God. It will cause us to run from each other. I mean, when you feel bad about yourself, you don't want to be around other people. But I'm here to tell you right now, you need people in your life to love you, to be there for you, and even to rub you the wrong way. You need different personality types. You know, we live in a world where we can just sit on our couch and we can order Amazon, you know, we can order um, DoorDash, and we can never inconvenience ourselves with a contrary personality. And we can just sit on our couch in this surrogate state of living when God created you to be in fellowship with other people. So it's important to come to church. It's important to be around other people because there's growth and there's development and there's encouragement that happens in the midst of all that. Don't, don't, don't use our modern day things to just kind of hide yourself because you won't be happy like that. You won't because you weren't created for that. And so Jesus here, talking about Jesus here, and it says something that he despised. And we looked at this last week. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. Now, it could have said he despised the pain. It could have said he despised the cross, the separation from God. There were a lot of things Jesus could have despised, but it specifically said he hated the shame. Because Jesus had never felt shame as the Son of God. Because as God, why would you ever feel shame? Because as God, you're always right. He had never known a place of unworthiness or lack of value. Now, people hated Him. People were against Him. People mocked Him. I mean, Jesus didn't give a rip what anybody thought about Him. He was never shaken by anyone's opinion. So much so that he scared Pilate when Pilate was trying to make him feel bad. And Pilate was looking into Jesus' eyes like, don't you know I could kill you? And Jesus is looking back at him like, bro, I made this place. <laughs> like, I made everything you see. I'm not scared of you as a government official. And it shook Pilate to his core because he could tell this was not someone who's scared of me. Why? Because Jesus' sense of value and self-worth was not coming from Pilate or the Roman government. It was coming from God Almighty. And the Father had already said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And God said that to Jesus before He did one single act of ministry because you need to know God is for you because of who you are, not because of what you do. All health arises out of that place. And so Jesus never experienced shame. He despised shame. He's like, this stuff is awful. And He hated it. But He endured it for us. Now, uh, turn to Romans 10, please. And because the gospel removes shame. That's one of the things it removes from you. It removes shame. It removes a sense of unworthiness from you. Now, legalism has the ability to heap shame on you. How many of some people, the engine of their Christianity is based on guilt, condemnation, and shame? Every, they, they try, they, and, and it's, it's, it, it's actually effective in controlling people. In fact, you can control people better with shame and guilt and condemnation. Oh, yes. You can, you can, you can, you can get a lot done in terms of outward show, but you can't actually introduce someone to a real relationship with God. How I many of you know there are massive cathedrals built on guilt, condemnation, and shame? Because people think their giving is what makes God like them. People think their giving is what makes God forgive them. People think, you know, or even, even church attendance. 
There's dynamics set up where people say, well, if you come to church, then God loves you, but if you don't, He don't love you. And it's never said point blank, it's just insinuated. And so everyone's in a constant state of guilt and shame and competition with each other. And it don't look like a family. It, 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 it's, it's a, it's a dog-eat-dog type of environment. And people don't actually have a relationship with God. And those, I'm not, there are people who have a relationship with God in the midst of all of that because God's awesome. But as a whole, all of their motivation is out of guilt, condemnation, and shame. Listen, God doesn't want you doing things because you feel ashamed. Like, I don't want to shame my children into cleaning their room. I don't want to shame my children into obeying me. I want them to do it because they want to. Now that takes time. And it takes teaching of repercussion. I mean, they need to know seed time and harvest. Praise the Lord. They need to know repercussion, you know, and all these types of things. Because if they don't understand repercussion in the safety of your home, I mean, when they leave your home, they they ain't going to make it. Because this world don't owe them nothing. And and so, um, but at the end of the day, what you want is for them to love you, love themselves, and love God, and do the right thing because they want to do it, not because they have to do it so they won't feel ashamed. Everybody tracking me here? And so, um, in Romans chapter uh, uh, 10 and verse 9, it says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For if the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, is it hot in here? Oh, it's just me. All right, shut up, Jeremiah. It's just me. That's what I get for wearing a sweatshirt, man. Praise the Lord. Just making sure. I don't want y'all to be hot. It's okay if I'm hot. For the Scripture says, Whosoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. Whosoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. So when you are believing the gospel, the good news about the way God feels about you, the good news of the success of the cross, the good news of the fact that you're right with God based upon faith in Jesus Christ, it will pull shame out of you and set you free from shame. And here's the thing. you know, I remember one time um, I was tasked with restoring this old porch uh, for a pastor that I used to serve under. And he had the biggest daggone porch on his house you've ever seen in your life. This porch was huge. It was old. And it, just, it was the ugliest, biggest porch ever. And, and, and I was called by God to, to, to water pressure and restore it. <laughs> and I thought, man, this thing is, you know. But, and I'd never done anything like that before. Well, you know what? As I started using the, the water pressure, and it would take some time, but eventually it would knock off all the gunk and the dirt, and that porch became beautiful. Like, and how many know it was beautiful underneath all that wear and tear the whole time? But it needed enough pressure to get it free from all of that dirt and that grime. And the gospel's the same way. See, you got to keep, if you're dealing with shame, if you'll just keep listening to the gospel, if you're dealing with unworthiness and you're dealing with self-worth issues, if you'll just let the gospel keep coming to you, it'll eventually cleanse your heart up and you'll actually start to feel good about yourself, and you'll see yourself the way God sees you. And if you, once again, if you can elevate your own sense of self-worth, everything in your life changes. Everything in your life changes. Blessing, opportunity, favor, all these things happen when you start to embrace your self-worth in the Lord. And that's why I said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Because as long as you feel bad about you and your own self-image is twisted, everything you see is through that. Check it out. You're going to be thinking people are rejecting you when they're not. Well, I saw what they said. I saw the way they looked. I heard that tone of voice. All that stuff's in your head. But because you... And then the enemy capitalizes on that. How many of the enemy is always trying to bring offense? Always. And so, and one of the ways that he'll bring that removal is when your own, your own self-image is messed up, then you'll start trying to read into things, thinking something's being said or being done that's not being done. And then you feel a sense of rejection. What happens a lot of times is when you feel a sense of rejection, you will, out of a panic 
mechanism reject first. And the next thing you know, somebody you were supposed to be in relationship with, offense has torn you apart because you thought that person didn't like you or was against you or whatever, and the whole time it was never like that. The whole time it was a self-image issue and then the devil playing the strings of a broken guitar. Of I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, all those types of things. And it's not true. And we just got to clear the air. You follow me? Just got to clear the air and get all that crap out of the air. And, 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 uh, and then, you know, when, you, when your sense of self-worth is restored, how many of you have that th- the ability to instill that within your children? Come on, man. This stuff is, is, is caught many times more than it's even taught. And so, that word for shame is the word katsuna in the Greek, and it means dishonor, disgrace, and devalue. So we are looking to pressure wash ourselves with the gospel to where we can bring a sense of healing and wholeness into our lives. Now turn to Philemon chapter 1, please. And then, you know, and I probably don't really have time to go there today, but I want to start getting into this new identity that's been given to you. Like when you read it in the scriptures, it's like amazing. It's like it's astonishing what God has given to us. Like no angel has been given what we've been given. No created being has been given what... What we have been given in Jesus is the riches are off the charts. It's amazing. Like, it's absolutely amazing what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Like, when you read it, it's like, wow, it really says that right there. It's amazing. But Philemon uh, 1.6, it says, The communication of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So, your faith is going to be effective as you acknowledge the good that's in you, in Christ Jesus. The good that's in you. Everybody says, and say, I am good. I'm good. God made me good. I'm good. Now, how many of you know, for some of y'all, it's a little hard. But, but, and, and it was hard for me too. Because you're looking at the wrong person to determine your value and your worth. If you are looking at you to determine whether you're good or not, it's not about you outside of Christ. It says the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. And that's why, once again, we preach the gospel. Because if I can reveal Jesus to you this morning, and you can look at Jesus and how awesome He is and how the cross is a success, and then you start to realize you are now in Christ. And you see yourself in Him then it changes the way you see yourself. And you know what it'll do? It's going to change your actions and your behavior. You're going to start walking right because you're believing right. If you still believe you're nothing but a no good, dirty, rotten sinner, that's exactly the way you're going to act. You are not a no good, dirty, rotten sinner. You are a child of God who's been made right with God. And and in your spirit, there is no sin. And your spirit's been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You can't get sin into your spirit. You're not that strong. You're not that powerful. The cross is too successful. It's it's the best news in the whole world. Now, I'm not saying that you aren't going to make mistakes. I'm not saying that. You're human. You're going to make mistakes. I mean, I I probably sinned with food several times over over the course of this past. If we're honest... We're honest. Like, I did. I ate a lot. I mean, if you, if you could just see me eat, it's awe-inspiring. Like, it's like, dear God, how does he do it? Like, we all eat with Stacey's family. Everybody gets one plate. I'm three plates minimum. Minimum. Every time going back for all this stuff. I'm just being honest. There's a reason I work out. Praise God. Hallelujah. Um, and, 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 you know, and then I ain't even talking about dessert later on, you know. So, you know, I'm human, and uh, praise God, and I'm not perfect, and you're human, and you're not perfect either, and you're going to make mistakes, but listen, who you are is beautiful. Who God has made you is awesome. And if, if we could just get a hold of who God has made us to be, then you'll start acting like it. You know, 20, 23 years later, since I first got saved, you see more of Jesus in my life. I'm not the same person I used to be. I'm different. And, and, I, and I'm still changing. And, you know, I'm free from a drug addiction. I'm free from pornography. I'm free from alcoholism. I'm free from lying and cheating and stealing and all that type of stuff. I'm free from that stuff. 
And it's not because of me. It's because of me acknowledging every good thing which is in me in Christ Jesus. I don't see myself as a drug addict anymore. I don't see myself like I used to see myself. And how I many you know sometimes you got to put some distance between you and people who see you as the old person? It's going to be real difficult for you to effectively change if, if, you're, if you're, you know, I had to get, I, when I come out of all that craziness that I was in, I had to get away from those people for a while. And it wasn't because I didn't love them. I loved a lot of those guys, but they only saw me as the person that I was. I had to be around different people. People who knew me according to Christ. Sometimes when you're changing, the, the people that are the greatest enemy to your change are the people that have always known you. It doesn't mean they're bad people. They're good people. They've only known you a certain way. And so they're always going to see you that way and speak to you in that way. But in order for this stuff to really work for you, you've got to change what you say about you. And so when, just a moment ago when I was saying, everybody say, I am good. See, you're going to have to start agreeing with God. God says you're good. God says you're righteous. God says you're holy. God says you're my child. And in order for it to really start getting written on your heart and your heart to transform, you've got to say the same thing that God has said about you. It's got to come out of your mouth. See, back in the day, we were taught confession was just about, you almost speak it out and it's going to happen, all these types of things. And we were taught that confession was really just us trying to control God with our faith. Really, the primary thing that confession does is it changes you. And when you change what you believe about you, then everything else in your life changes because out of your heart is the issues of life. And so the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now, Galatians chapter 3. Thank you, Lord. Got nine minutes left. Hang with me. We got, we're going to have pizza. Amen. <laughs> Hang with me. We're going to eat. Hallelujah. I think it's hot like crazy in here, but I was foolish. No, no, no. Don't change it. Don't you do it. Don't do it. Oh, give me the fan. Okay, thank you. She's like, here's a crumb. Have a fan. Have a fan. I should know better. I should preach in a t-shirt in the absolute depth of winter. I mean, I just, I should. I don't know why I don't, but anyway. Um, Galatians chapter 3, and just this last piece, because we're not going to get very far into it, but this is what God has to say about you. And this is the change that happens when you get saved. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So what you have to understand is everything that you were died when you received Jesus. Now your brain still remembers it, but you've got a new nature now. That's why we get baptized. We get baptized to show what actually happened in the realm of the Spirit. Because when, you were, when I called upon the name of the Lord as a drug addict, alcoholic, atheist, I was, that word baptized in the, in the Greek is the word baptismo, and it means to be immersed. And what that means was I, 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 my person was taken and I was plunged down into Jesus. I was plunged into everlasting life. And when I came up out of that, actually you just stay in it. You get immersed in Jesus and you stay there. But that, that baptism shows you that you have a new identity. Now the challenge is, is you look the same. Like you still have the same color skin, same color hair, all these types of things. But in your spirit, you are now joined to the Lord and you are now in Christ. And listen, you're not going to die. That is why you have everlasting life, is because you have a new nature, you have a righteous nature. And so, all that other stuff that used to define you, don't define you anymore. For you are all sons of God. You are all children of God. What if it became more real to you who you were in Jesus than what you were in the opinions of other people? Like for real, like what if that became real to you? It changed you, wouldn't it? It changed you when you find out your value because you've put on Christ and you are now one in Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. 
And it says, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist, talking about Jesus. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Then all things he may have preeminence. See, Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. I mean, if there's a firstborn, there's going to be a second, third, fourth. Jesus conquered death. And so now you are born into a different type of being. Like you are born into a new creation. Jesus was first born from the dead. How I many you know in your new self, death has no more dominion? In your new self, sin has no more dominion. In your spirit, this is the, this, it's exciting. Like this, these are, this is who you now are. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So now you, you're a new creation. You have a new identity. You're first born from among the dead. And then eventually, immortality is going to swallow up mortality. And your physical body will experience the same redemption that you experience in your spirit. What you about? You're going to get a brand new body. Can I get an amen for a brand new body? I'm talking about a body that don't get old. I'm talking about a body that don't get sick. I'm talking about a body that can eat three plates at Thanksgiving and not feel a thing. Can I get an amen? I don't know about that, but you know. I know we still eat in heaven, you know. Praise God. Carbs will be redeemed. Amen. Hallelujah. But you're going to get a brand new body. You're going to get a brand new body, so you're moving towards something better than what you've known, right? But, but you can awaken to your self-worth now. You can awaken to your value now. You can awaken to your dignity. Here's the cool thing. When you start to know your worth, you will start to treat people differently. The reason... A lot of times, we don't treat other people well is we feel bad about ourselves. And if we don't know our own sense of self-worth, gossip and slander and talk bad about people is a way that we can feel better about ourselves because we don't feel good about ourselves. But when you know your self-worth and you know that the way God sees people you stop looking at anybody else like they're better than you or worse than you. And then what happens is the love of God is unleashed to do its work. Because really all love is, is it's valuing people. See, God wants for us to give value to the people that don't believe in Him. To the people that are anti-Christ an atheist, your job is not to fight those people. Your job is to love them. That's your job. Because in God's eyes, all humans have value. Not, not all humans are alive. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? Well, I mean, if you haven't received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're spiritually dead. And you need to receive Jesus so that you can live forever. But when we fight against people and we degrade them and devalue them, that's not what wins the lost. That's not what changes them. No, they need to know God loves them. Now, in the very same breath, I'm not saying that you say what's right is wrong and what's wrong is right. How many of you need to take a stand for what's right? You can take a stand for what's right. You don't have to agree with all of someone's behavior to still see value in them. How I many you know the father never saw the prodigal son as losing value, even though he was wasting his money on riotous living, even though he was living in a pig pen, even though he was in sin? How I many you know the father didn't agree with that behavior? He didn't want that behavior. But he didn't want it because he knew that his son was better than that. And his son never lost value. And, and really, ultimately, I mean, that's what love does. Love brings value to people. And so when you can start to honor and value yourself, it's going to empower you to do the same thing for other people. Everybody tracking me here? Because everybody in here, none of us have arrived in this. None of us 
see ourselves the way God sees us. Um, but we're invited to. And it's just like having a window that's dirty. And what happens is the washing of the water of the Word through the good news of the Gospel will get the dirt off of your window to where you can look down and see that you actually are good, that you actually are beautiful, that you actually are every, you're everything that God wants and God delights in you. Can I get an amen? Everybody say that. Say, God delights in me. I'm going to lead you in confession here. God delights in me. Father God loves me. He's excited about me. I'm His child. I am with Him. He is for me. I am clean. I am lovable. I am likable. I am in Christ. Christ is in me. I agree with God. I'm awesome. In Christ. Amen? And, and, and you, but it's, you're going to have to say it on the regular so that you can untwist that self-image. Amen? So, anyway, I'm going to shut up. So, yeah, it's good, isn't it? It's good news. It's good news. Really good news. So, um, Lord, we just thank you for this. I think you continue to carry us on in this and help us to learn how to see ourselves the way you see us. I thank you, Lord, you help us to, believe, to understand that you delight in us. You're excited about us, Lord. And that, uh, and that is what empowers us to overcome and to win. Spirit of God, we thank you that this wouldn't just be words of knowledge, Lord, but the, these, these would be words that, um, of revelation by the Spirit of God. I think you give us a revelation of this. Help us to understand it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so take a, f- a couple-minute break, um, and we are going to do our uh, uh, business meeting.